Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 46. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Welcome to episode 46 of the Jack Mountain Bushcraft podcast. Colin Christopher and I are having coffee in the guide shack this morning, getting ready for our day. We're going to try to stick with this two episodes a week plan throughout the semester at least when we're not out on the trail and maybe even then um how we doing this morning gents excellent Uh, it's too early to tell it's too early to tell we did an executive uh retreat (laughs) last night for taco tuesday and went into the to the mecca that is presque isle and got a whole bunch of supplies for camp and ate a bunch of tacos so we're hitting it on all cylinders this morning yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this morning, we want to talk about the path to becoming an instructor as kind of bushcraft and outdoor living and uh, primitive skills and survival and lots of other terms that are used to describe uh, a, a, a rugged, outdoor, simple life. Um, if As that field is exploding, there are lots of new people hanging their shingle as instructors, as teachers of the finer craft and arts of living in the forest we want to talk about the process by which uh we train instructors here um just a a quick aside about terminology you know in the 60s and 70s it was back to the land and survival in the 80s it was survival and primitive skills in the 90s it became all about i think self-reliance uh in the 2000s bushcraft became a term Um, And there's people who will say there's no such thing as bushcraft in North America. We have woodcraft. And there's all these other annoying little semantic oddities of language. Um, But in my mind, you know, bushcraft, outdoor living, survival, it's always been about how city people describe a simple rural country life, right? And the terms change every five or six years. Something gets super popular Uh, like right now, bushcraft, and then it goes too far because there's 8 million crappy products using that term, you know, trying to make an economic impact for somebody. So then people are like, oh no, I I hate bushcraft, now now I like woodcraft, or, you know, whatever else. Uh, The terms don't matter, they're sort of interchangeable, because if you think about it, like the skill sets and the the culture around it, they haven't changed since, I don't know, the Paleolithic era. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but we just live in this weird modern world where everything's about labels and then they use the labels to sell a whole bunch of questionable crap. Do you crap. think, but here's the real question though. Do you think Paleolithic people argued about which lighting and filter was the best for their stone tools? Uh, yeah. For, for what would the Paleolithic version of Instagram like be? Like thag no like uh, fake flint. Thag only use real flint. Yeah. Here's another question. Would Paleolithic people enjoy Fag. Taco Tuesday as much as we do? They I probably invented it. Taco Tuesday Bicet- transcends time and space. Oh, yeah. Yes. They definitely had Auroch. I think a better tacos. question yeah. would be, how did ancient aliens feel what about What do you guys think a saber-toothed tiger taco would taste like? Good. Awesome. Uh, I'll tell you yeah, what. I would try it. It's all about the, I would eat it. It's all about the sauce. It is. Yeah. Like, I've seen that ancient alien show, and they have, like, old school, like, drawings of the aliens enjoying tacos. Of course they do. And I'm sure it was on a specific day. It's on day. every cave painting I've ever seen has had a little gray man eating a roughly taco-shaped Right, so... I think they also found paintings on uh, caves where they had that uh, bottle with the red bottom and the yellow <laughs> It was, top. it was. That was where it started, it was the red bottle with the yellow cap. So, right back to the Paleolithic. Giorgio Sukalos, if you're listening right now, we need an ancient alien episode about tacos. And we would love to have you on. <laughs> if you want to come to northern Maine and sleep in the woods for a weekend, we would love to have you on and talk about ancient aliens and tacos. Because let's be honest, you have you have great hair and a great tan. And a great personality. <laughs> and all of those are just wonderful. It's a wonderful trio right there. So yeah. Getting back to it, as you can see, it takes takes a very professional person to be a bushcraft instructor. Um, (laughs) Very. I'm surprised you finished that sentence, actually. Let's talk about the the path to becoming a, let's say, let's use the word reputable. Okay. Let's say, what's the path to become a reputable instructor? Because a non-reputable instructor sees like a few YouTube videos, has been camping once, figures it's something they could talk about. Hangs their shingle. Buys a Combar Pro. Buys a Combar Pro. Starts putting up uh, YouTube videos and stuff about how smart they are and mm. how dumb everybody else is. But let's talk about somebody who's like really interested in passing on deep knowledge about the skills and the lifestyle and the culture. Right? So, from my perspective, I think there are several well-defined steps. Number one, if say if I wanted to learn how to teach people making bow drill fires, for example... So, number one, I would have to learn myself how to do a Bodro fire and become successful with it. Number two, I would have to get good at it and, and fast at it so that I could accomplish it in a reasonable amount of time. Number three, I would need to learn the things that commonly go wrong when people attempt this. So that when someone's struggling through, you know, I can sort of spot the problems that are going to happen almost before they happen, right? So I'd see, I'd learn the common errors and the common failures. And then I think practice and really, um, especially with bow drill, doing at least maybe a hundred fires before I'm teaching it. Um, so, you know, there's the old saying that, you know, a really, a really, uh, someone who's trying to get to the point of mastery, <clears throat> they don't practice until they get it right. They will practice until they can't get it wrong. And there's a big philosophical difference between the two. One is, you know, barely knowing enough to get it done. And number two is having a much more vast amount of experience in something to the point where you're probably not going to screw it up. Or if you are, you know exactly what's going wrong. So those, I think, are the 
those are the steps. Did you guys have any input on that? Yeah, I think um, it's, you know, sort of pairing with what you said about, you know, somebody goes and watches a few YouTube videos and then starts teaching. Um, and that that's sort of a frustrating thing to me because I think about when we talk a lot about people who made canoes traditionally and how there would be a guy and he would just watch the old guy for like 10 years before he even touched a tool, right? Or something similar to that. And I wish that there was, I wish that um, this industry had that sort of thing where it was uh, like, I, I still, I've been teaching for a little while now and I still feel like there, I have so much more to learn. And I wish that there were pro, was programs where it was more like an apprenticeship where it was, you know, you work with this guy for 10 years before you even start. Like you have, you have a total mastery of this stuff before you even start learning how to teach because then you don't have to worry about, like you said, like you've worked out all the kinks, you know what can go wrong and you know that through experience, not through reading books and you can, you can see it when it starts to happen. Um, so that's sort of, even, even though officially I teach up here, that's still what I feel like I'm doing is that I'm still getting a handle on a lot, on some of this stuff, trying to get to where I can see the problems before they happen. And I think that that's something that people want the end game without that, that 10 years of effort. And that's a little frustrating. To well, me. what's the, uh, everybody wants to be a black belt, but nobody wants to get punched in the face mm-hmm. over and over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like, and that, I, I am here to say that I am here to be punched in the face yeah. over and over. That's oh, the entire reason so I'm tempting Jack right now. It's so tempting. I know. And that's I the know. thing. And that's the thing. There's uh there's a saying, um, uh, you, you have to be willing to be the fool before you can be the master. And it's kind of the same. We're all concept. still fools. We're you very know, much our fools. Conversation like five <laughs> minutes very, ago. We're very much fools, but um, like again, like it's, it's the same right. thing. Is you got to be willing to um, kind of <laughs> get knocked down or 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 but, fail. You have to be willing to fail, and that's the thing. When um, doing things like bow drill, like um, the, it's it's a very frustrating skill to learn because you will mess up over and over again same thing with canoeing um i think there's a lot of people yesterday that were um feeling the frustration and i myself have felt all those and i've and yesterday and and since i've been on this course teaching um and instructing and finally getting out there in my first time uh in front of a, an audience uh it's you know it definitely hits home when you finally get that chance and uh you know sometimes yeah you kind of look like a fool and you and you find out what it is that didn't work and what it it, what you your strengths were and you kind of just troubleshoot it from there yeah and like the uh i don't know if i would call them philosophers but i definitely they definitely had a lot of good ideas have you guys ever heard of sort of the the thought group or the think tank uh chumbawamba where I get knocked down, but I get up again. Yes. No, they're never going to bring me down. Never heard of them. It's uh, well, they came out after the '80s, so I get it. <laughs> I understand. We're the young blood, Tim. We have new it's philosophers, a, new ideas, crazy well, I, ideas. I mean, they could have just quit with philosophy Dancing in the end of the '80s. We don't, we don't need any more. <laughs> like there was enough. There's enough out there as a result of the '80s. We don't need any more. 
I like how it's a philosophy. You take that back. I like how it's a like it's a philosophical uh, spin on perseverance, but also it's kind of like a binge drinking song because they're drinking a whiskey drink, a vodka drink. Oh, it's a song. Yeah, what, yeah. Tim? That's your joke. I just put in a different. <laughs> oh my god. Yes, Chumbawamba is a band. Okay. And there's a song called I don't know what it's called. Tub something. Are they still a band? Are they still around? Dude, okay. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to derail this. I just I made a joke and it got weird. Yeah. Um, okay. As with everything up here. Behind the music with Chumbawamba. Uh, no, that's not what this show is. We're talking about... And now, after all of us in rehab, we're back in the studio working on a new album, finally. Is that how every Behind the Music ends? Yeah, and the title of it will be called We Get Knocked Down, But We Get Up Again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Where were we? We were about... Um, I think we were going along the lines of perseverance and how um, you can... Uh, basically, where you uh, get knocked down. Get knocked down. And you get back <laughs> I'm up sorry. I could, I'm so sorry. Okay. So... So, because we here at the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School are committed to education and committed to, to helping the next generation of reputable instructor, we have a formal program with which people who are experienced can come and learn the teaching slash course management side of the equation, side of running program. We call that our TA or our teaching assistant program, and Colin is our teaching assistant for this course uh, that we're running right now. Um, so we have a process by which we try to ease them into, uh, teaching slash being comfortable in front of groups. And that is like a lot of the things we do here kind of based a little bit on my experience as an educator and uh, graduate degree in education. So we have like formal written lesson plans that they'll write up. So for example, if Colin was going to teach a class on, I don't know, let's say sourdough biscuit making. <laughs> Colin taught a class on sourdough biscuit making yesterday. But So Colin then has to come uh, do a bit of research. You know, he's done this numerous times as a student and in the field. Um, but in order to teach it, we want him to write up a lesson plan uh, with an outline for what's going to be taught, the intended learning outcomes, the materials needed, the time needed. The important points so that if he gets flustered when he's sort of on stage, he doesn't miss anything. Um, so then he writes all that up. We look it over, make sure that it's good to go. And then when he's out actively teaching in front of a group, um, you know, it's a good outline to have. And it's good to have it all kind of thought out and in advance uh, written up so that, you know, you get those kind of moments where you stumble or if you forget what you're doing. You can always check back with the outline and, and get you through that. Yeah, and I think it's good to have um, sort of the the facts and the bones of it almost wrote and which is what you're talking about. Like it's just in the back of your head. And because to me that while the TA process is about when I was a TA, it, it definitely was about sort of learning and making sure I had a good handle on the skills. But what it was more about was, um, finding, finding my style as an educator. And that's something that you learn only through getting up in front of people and making a fool of yourself. So if, if the, the information that you're passing on is just sort of in the back of your head and you've gone over it a bunch of times, then you can worry less about getting that right and worry more about how you're presenting it and how, um, how people are taking that information as you give it to them and make notes about that kind of thing. And I think that's really valuable as, as someone who's learning to be an educator. Definitely. And it's, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why if you go to become like a classroom teacher... 
you do this every single yeah. day, right? There's a reason yeah. why, like, you do lesson plans exactly. every single day mm-hmm. because it's like, hey, look, you know, uh, all these thousands of years of education, and we've determined that this works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So to think that, like, it, you know, we wouldn't need to do something like that just because we're teaching outdoors or we're teaching a different subject. Yeah. You know, that's a little bit that's a little bit wacky. That idea is kind of off the rails mm-hmm. a bit. It, it's a useful thing to do to create written lesson it plans also, in advance. Yeah, and I think it also forces. Um, sort of back to what you were saying about a guy, like it's one thing to know this stuff um, and be able to do it, but it forces you to really look critically at what you actually know and whether or not you can present it well. Um, and I think that's a, that's a, another level of understanding of a skill or, um, or anything that we do up here is if you can, if you can present it to other people in a way that um, makes sense to them, then you really, you have to have, a working knowledge of it, you know, you, you know what you teach. And I think what we, the TA process up here allows you to live that, um, live whatever it is you're teaching for nine weeks. And that's where, I think that's where true understanding comes from rather than, you know, we talked about bow drills earlier, doing a bow drill in the backyard and then trying to teach it to people as opposed to doing it out here. And it, yeah, it's the difference yeah. between shallow knowledge and deep exactly. knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and like uh, what Chris was, was getting to about teaching to other people, it's, it's one thing to understand something backwards and forwards, and that's definitely the first step in, um, in teaching. Um, what I've discovered yesterday in a very, um, like it's burned into my mind now, but uh, it, how do you relate it to other people so that other people can understand from step one? So you basically have to go back to to being that student who doesn't know anything and your preparations should start from there. Pretend that it's be that student that doesn't know anything about that subject. Be the empty space inside (laughs) that student's head and fill it with the knowledge that you that you have that yeah let's be clear we're talking about an empty space in knowledge not about an empty void inside of each individual student they end up with that anyway but that takes another three or four weeks my empty void is in my heart yeah we know <laughs> but we've been trying to fill your empty space but yeah. you won't take it i fill it with coffee tacos it's never enough. bad jokes bad jokes <laughs> I think that goes for all three of us. Yeah. I'm comfortable saying that. But so, the thing is, is, is basically preparation is key. That's that's the biggest thing. Um, actually, yeah. The the big thing that I really learned yesterday, because um, again, like I've I've done sourdough biscuits, um, uh, not uh, numerous times. I I can't even count. And um, it it was uh, kind of a an awakening that because um, there's the students who are who are curious because it's because it's a good thing. They're, they're curious, they're having questions, and they had questions that I didn't really think of. So um, I kind of had, I was kind of caught there and kind of had a deer in the headlights moment. And um, so it was good to have Chris and Tim here to help, uh, to help reel, reel me in and, and to reel in the subject but um i stayed in there and i i eventually i I persevered i finished the uh class but um i also learned a lot about how what things what i did well and what things i need to work on and i'll tell you right now my 
pre-preparation uh, is something that is definitely something that is not anything to take lightly. It's not a, a step to skip. So, yes and no. I mean, yesterday was your first time, like, kind of being on stage. We sort of threw you to the wolves a bit, and I think there's value in that. We didn't sort of. We definitely just were like, all right, bye, Colin. I got devoured Liver, yesterday. You're going to live or you're going to die. This is what it is. Like, the happy hour's only for another 45 minutes, so we'll be at the bowling alley. See you later. Uh, but, no, everybody... I bowled a reasonable 122. Everybody... Uh, when they start teaching, when they start really doing anything, oh, yeah. there's. A, I mean, you always feel we're our own biggest critic. Yeah. First of all, that's number one. Number two, especially when you're starting a new endeavor, we all have a bit of imposter syndrome. Like I've read that, you know, guys who have these billion dollar companies after their IPOs, they're still like, man, I hope uh, nobody determines what a fraud I am. You know, like that's a super common response to to, to sticking your toe in a new body of water. Sure. Right, yeah. so like that's all it's expected, right? So like you're sort of right on the trajectory of, of how it works for most people. In fact, if someone is like the first day that they're teaching, if they're convinced like I am God's gift to teaching and these people are super fortunate to have me because I am awesome. Like if someone had that mentality, there's a few red flags there of like yeah. uber narcissist, mm -hmm. right? That would make me more nervous than, than if someone's like, oh, I didn't really, you know, I didn't do great, and and this went wrong, and that went wrong. Like that's the normal reaction, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There was a moment yesterday while you were teaching, Colin, where you turned around and looked at me, and your hands were covered in sourdough. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you had sourdough all over your hands, and there was just a moment I've never seen. Uh, I've never seen eyes expressed help me as much as that moment where you just like you couldn't touch anything because your hands were covered in sourdough, and I, I'm I'm making light of it, but that's. You look like that my dog when it got f all four paws caught in like hold traps and looked at me. <laughs> like, oh, oh no! But I'm, I'm making light of it, and we're kind of joking about Colin's uncomfortableness. But that's that's where the learning happens. Like you couldn't you couldn't plan that out any better. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, learning happens when we put ourselves our hands in, in sourdough or yeah. in any situation yeah. where we're outside of our comfort zone, right? Yeah, absolutely. And then we have to move the line of that comfort zone up to include the new experience. Mm -hmm. So without that, without that sort of like feeling like you're, you know, feeling like you're drowning a bit, feeling like, yep. hey, I'm, I'm out of my element here. I think without that, it's really impossible to have any growth in, in anything. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like if you're always within your comfort zone, you're always like, oh, this feels good. Like you're not going to progress regardless of what it is that you're working on, whatever endeavor, whether it's teaching bushcraft or... I don't know, swimming or surfing or whatever, paddling whitewater, that you always have to be pushing mm -hmm. the edge of the envelope a little bit of your comfort zone in order to grow. Because mm -hmm. through growth, your comfort zone starts to include that new activity. Yeah. Right? So putting yourself out there on the mm -hmm. edge is, is sort of the, the recipe for growth. Yeah. And Colin and I have been talking about this a lot over the last few weeks. Um, it took me probably a year. Um, and I've sort of been describing it to Colin as sort of finding your voice as an instructor, like finding the way that you present information and the way that you interact with students. And I think that that, to me, while the TA program, again, is about sort of honing the actual like physical skills that we teach up here and making sure that that knowledge is all in your head. I think the biggest reward from it is that that process of finding, finding a way to present things that, you know, it's different for everybody. Like Tim is as well, we're all pretty jokey up here, but um, Tim uses humor as a management tool, and I struggle with that a lot. I have to kind of 
I had to find other ways to interact. And I, it's, it's interesting for me as someone who did the TA program a year ago to watch you, Colin, go through the same experience. Um, it's, it's, there's a little bit of schadenfreude going on, I have to admit. But what kind of fruit? Uh, schadenfreude. It's shot out of a shotgun before you can eat it. Like grapes? <laughs> is that like potato guns? Is that like a cooking... <laughs> is that like... Can we please make a grape gun? <laughs> we anyway. should make a potato gun and that could be a new cooking... Uh, yeah. Cooking class. Cooking Can we shoot them guns? before or after the... I like if we cook them, shoot them after they're cooked right into people's faces. Like fill your face hole with this hot <laughs> potato. Can I please teach that class if we do have that class? Absolutely. Uh, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> I like the idea of taking a potato gun and shooting a cooked potato straight up in the air and then getting all my condiments on the plate and then having it <laughs> land right there. That would be like a... <laughs> Instant yeah. mashed potatoes? Yeah. Ready to do a big bowl of gravy? That yeah. could be like a... That's like a national sport in the making right there. <laughs> that sounds like an arrest. We would have sport. to... Uh, <laughs> like, we'd have to have all the potato guns exactly the same. They'd have to be machined. Like, it couldn't be like... Because if, if we didn't have identical potato guns... What what uh, what channel would that be on if that was on TV? We're in the Arusta County, Maine, where we are located. Yep. The Crown of Maine is the largest potato producing county in the United States. It's also right at the Presque Isle Airport. So if there's any place <laughs> where we could pull off like a potato related Olympic Games, mm-hmm. this would be It'd it. Be in Arusta yep. County. Yeah. Colin, you want to talk about finding your voice? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I um, like I said. Um, the big thing, you know, is, is just getting out there and just in, in, and just doing it. Again, it's not just doing it, though. You, you have to have preparation. Um, but like Tim and Chris have been uh, alluding to, there, there's group management skills that are kind of um, – th- that you, you, you find are, you're, are what you are better at than others, like – you know, you might maybe humor is something that you that you can use. Maybe um, a whip, a whip. Um, maybe you can just um, take everybody out on a on a death march to tire them out. Um, and maybe wouldn't, that's wouldn't my a death march. Like that would be like a, a like a fatigue march, right? A death march has a different end game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, so weed out the weak ones. That's evolution. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Colin's voice is a despot. That's good to know. But the point is, is um, you tyrant. Yeah. Is the point is, is like uh, I don't know if I found my my voice yet, but I'm you know I'm dedicated to the process, and I I know that it's going to um, it's going to hit eventually. Um, and not if you kill all the students, it's, it's, I, I, I like being in this environment though, because it's good to see, um, y'all two's different styles of, of teaching. And, and, uh, I, I take a lot of, um, mental notes and, uh, you know, I, I just, I'm very dedicated to the process and, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm willing to get, you know, knocked down, embarrassed, you know, here and there to find, to find my voice. Cause I feel that that's a very liberating feeling because then that's, then you've crossed that threshold when now it's no longer the boogeyman. It's, it's no longer out of your comfort zone. It's now very much within your comfort zone. And then, you know, that's something that you can take 
um, you can take wherever it leads you. Yeah, that level of confidence. I'm com- I've well uh, rehearsed around here in saying that when you have real confidence in yourself, not false bravado, but like you, you, you know you can accomplish something. You literally, when you live with that level of confidence, I think, and I say this honestly, no joke, you literally live in a different world. You have a different sphere of existence than most people. Most people are slaves to their lack of confidence. Most people just don't have that. I absolutely 100% know that I can accomplish this or whatever else I put my mind to. That when you have that, the world's literally a different place. And if you guys, you know, if you could walk away from a TA program or from any program with that, you know, I mean, put a price tag on it. You would have like tech company billionaire CEOs showing up at your doorstep saying, give me that confidence, you know. And again, it's not what we do here. It's sort of like, uh, you know, what we do here is practice outdoor living and bushcraft instructor and guide training skills. But a gift, that's the gift that I like to think comes from really applying yourself to those things. The the gift is uh, that level of confidence. You know, when you go out, say, Frozen 48, you go out in the wintertime with your knife, your axe, a little metal pot, and whatever you can hold in your pockets... It's 20, 30 below zero and you go spend 48 hours in the forest. It's a hard, long 48 hours, Mm -hmm. right? But after those 48 hours, you figure that's the transitional time. Maybe to use a bad metaphor, maybe you're going into your little cocoon there and you emerge as a butterfly at the end of it. I'm a beautiful butterfly. (laughs) You emerge as a beautiful butterfly at the end of it. But you think about like when you walk out of those woods on your snowshoes after being out for the frozen 48, you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Like... You think about all the little things that get you down and the little things that will slow you down and make you question yourself. Like, they don't exist anymore. They're not even speed bumps at that point. Like, when you have that level of confidence, the world is just a different place for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, just a couple of quick questions that we get a lot about this. Uh, You know, people will often say, hey, you know, when am I ready to start teaching? You know, because it's a it's a long learning process. There are a wide variety of skills. Mm. You know, when am I ready to start taking people out as a guide? And when am I ready to start teaching? And I think a lot of that has to do with your confidence level individually. Um, you know, if you're not confident that you're ready to start teaching, you're probably not. Uh, but if you are confident, it's always good to, to do a little self-examination and say, is that real confidence or is that kind of false bravado, you know? Um, so, you know, I think people are ready to start teaching when they're ready to start teaching. I think that when, yeah, it's kind of a... a no, 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 I, I like it. It's, just, it's, it's the phrase. Yeah, it, it's kind that's of Because a, that's how it is. Sounds like a cop-out, but... Uh, well, I, you can tell a teacher by the way they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I think that it's, um, like I said, in a perfect world, I think I would take 10 years before I do any of this, but I am cognizant of the fact that... Um, that I know enough, I know enough that I can start passing it on and passing it on well, or at some level that is uh, acceptable. And I think that at, in the in the sort of the outdoor industry as it is today, I think um, I stand to gain more learning about educating if I just jump headfirst into it than I do if I you know wait ten years till I can do everything perfectly. Yeah, um, because even then, after ten years, you'll be like, wow. 
Well, now I, I got to make a website. I still can't do this perfectly. Yeah, so, exactly. We have a saying here that I got from an old, we had an old country doctor from upstate New York. Uh, I think Cobleskill, New York. I, guess, I wish I could remember his name. It's been like 15, 18 years. There were three generations of, of men in the same family on this Allagash trip. So there was the grandpa, who was the old country doctor, and his three boys, and then a handful of grandkids on this Allagash trip. And uh, we were talking about something. He was going to teach me how to suture or something. Uh, I had a current emergency medical technician card at the time. And he said... Just kind of an offhand comment. He'll be like, yeah, it'll be just like when I went to medical school. See one, do one, teach one. Mm-hmm. And I, first of all, was like, you know, I lost complete faith in doctors and medical school <laughs> after that. But but we use that uh, phrase a lot around here because I think it takes away a lot of the the sort of mystique with teaching, right? So often as a teaching tool, if I'm instructing, say we have a group of 10 people and I'm off showing somebody something. Um, you know, one-on-one individually, I'm like, okay, I'm going to show you this and then you're going to show everybody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'll say, see one, do one, teach one. And I, I really love that because I think people get a lot out of that process. Right. Number one, it's really good for the ego to be like, I'm a teacher now. It's also really good for them to, you know, think about the points they need and how they're going to communicate that knowledge to the rest of the group. So I, I really think that teaching is what makes you develop a super deep knowledge of a skill set. Because if I'm just out doing something, there's lots of ways for me to get to the end game. But if mm-hmm. I have to communicate it to other people, then that demands that I create or build a level of deep understanding in order to be able to answer questions exactly. and whatever. So, so yeah, like the, the, it'd be great to study for 10 years, but I think the, you know, to even wait 10 minutes in some instances is too long. Yeah. So to see one, do one, then teach And I think that's also one of the other advantages of, you know, not just specifically RTA program, but something like that, where maybe an internship or an apprenticeship is that, that, that process of see one, do one, teach one. Um, I can't speak for other schools, but here it, uh, it's constantly cycling through those three things. You're, you know, maybe you're not totally comfortable teaching one thing, but you get to see it and do it a couple times more while you're up here. And I think that that's a super valuable thing um, and doing it in a context where it matters rather than doing it at home. Um, I'll add on to that. Um, when, uh, so the, for the question of uh, when are you ready to teach or to instruct, I would say when you're ready to prepare to participate and to uh, persevere. Um, I don't want to do any of those things. Can I go back to bed? <laughs> The three P's. The three P's. Colin's three P's to be You're only need three to... P's today? <laughs> How are you going to get by on that amount of calories? I'm sorry. I'll... Yeah. But Clearly yeah. he's referring to, to, to urinating. Yes. Oh, not eating. You're going to I have taken three, times three P's since, since this podcast has started. You really do look dehydrated. You should, <laughs> you should drink some more. But no, I think that's great. I think you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, well, we've managed to squander another half hour, perfectly good half hour, uh, with episode 46. Thank you for coming along on the journey with us. When we do these morning uh, podcasts, we always have to wrap up at a certain time because we go and meet the students and start our busy instruction-filled day in about 15 minutes. So we're going to wrap this one up. Uh, Thank you, gentlemen, for sharing your Mm -hmm. insights on this uh, topic. Yeah, thank you to you out there in podcast land for 
listening. And thank you to uh, the guy with the crazy hair. I w- we would really like to have you on to talk about aliens. I can't remember his name. George. Giorgio Tsoukalos. Yeah, that. The, guy, the wanting, ancient alien what, guy. I keep wanting to call him George Costanza, and I know that's the guy from Seinfeld, but that's what's in my too. head. Which, yeah, he can come geez. too. Why not? We'll have a big party. <laughs> Nobody puts Giorgio Tsoukalos in the corner, Christopher. <laughs> I, I wasn't. He was going to sit at the table and talk with us. <laughs> so thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please... Spread help spread the word. Leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this, and we'll hit you back with another one in a couple of days. Hope you have a great day.